Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Welcome to episode 42 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts, and today we're talking about our final virtue in this four-part series, and I need to admit right off the bat, this particular virtue is hard to name. I'm, I'm tempted to call it faith, but that might be misleading because so often we tend to think of faith as being about what we believe, about our beliefs, and don't get me wrong, beliefs are important. But faith, as I see it, is more a posture of heart. It's a heart that trusts, a heart that surrenders, a heart that is obedient to God. And so for today, I'm just going to call this particular virtue surrender. But there's a lot wrapped up in that word, and that's why this particular virtue goes by many other names. It is the quality of life we're getting at whenever we pray Not my will be done, but thy will be done. And so call it whatever you want. But the virtue I want to talk about today is when God's concerns become our own. And when we learn to care about what God cares about. And that the evidence for this shift is manifested in the choices we make and how we live our life. And so to talk about this virtue, I thought we'd look at someone who... Well, he seems to have embodied the exact opposite of these traits, at least from what we know of this man in Scripture. And, of course, I'm talking about Jonah. Now, whenever I talk about Jonah, inevitably, people will always ask, did it really happen? Did Jonah really get swallowed by a fish and then live to tell the story about it? Now, whether the story of Jonah falls under the genre of history or allegory is an interesting question to consider, but it's by no means the most interesting question, because much more interesting than the question, did it happen, is the question, does it happen? The story of Jonah, does it happen? And to answer that question, we need to dive into the story itself. A reading from the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Here ends the reading. And so this is where our story begins. God calls Jonah, and Jonah runs away. God sends him to Nineveh, but Jonah flees to Tarshish. He finds a ship, buys a one-way ticket, and Jonah runs away from God. Now, of all the places that Jonah could flee to, why would he go to Tarshish? Well, for starters, it's a lot more exciting than Nineveh, which had a reputation for being full of brutish and pathetic pagans, but Tarshish, on the other hand, was exotic. Tarshish was an adventure. According to 1 Kings, King Solomon sent ships to Tarshish, and they came back with gold, silver, ivory, monkeys, and peacocks. That's right, 
monkeys and peacocks are in Tarshish. This is very exciting stuff. But, of course, there's a lot more to the story than that. Jonah has a pretty good reason for not wanting to go to Nineveh. Like I said, the people of Nineveh were known for being a bunch of spiritually ignorant and bloodthirsty brutes. And to make matters worse, they attacked, conquered, and at one point even slaughtered 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. If you're not very good at math, that's 83% of God's elect people, which is no small thing. And so Jonah hates the Ninevites, and if Jonah had his way, God would hate the Ninevites too. And so whenever Jonah begins to sense that God loves the Ninevites, that God wants to save the Ninevites, and that God wants to use Jonah as part of this plan, Jonah wants nothing to do with that. Jonah runs away, or to perhaps to be a little bit more accurate, Jonah sails away. Jonah wants nothing to do with bringing God's love to what he sees as these horrible and nasty people. And so back to the question of the day, does it happen? Does God ever tell us to do something that we don't want to do? or to go to a place that we would rather not go. And when that happens, do we ever get freaked out and run away? Or if we look deep into our souls, do we have a Tarshish that appeals to us more than the presence of God? We'll just leave that question hanging for a little bit. And so as the story goes, Jonah boards a ship to Tarshish, pretty confident that he is the one in control of his life. Lesson number one about the book of Jonah, he's not, because God responds to Jonah's disobedience by sending a horrible storm. Jonah's ship begins to sink, and everyone on board knows that Jonah is the problem, and so the sailors decide to throw him overboard. And just as he's about to drown, Jonah is swallowed by a fish. For three days and three nights, the belly of the fish becomes Jonah's home. Jonah is trapped, helpless, as he has nowhere else to go. You see, there's not a whole lot one can do to entertain oneself in the belly of a fish, and so Jonah does the only thing he can do at this point. He prays. From the belly of the fish, Jonah prays, and God hears Jonah's prayer because the fish spits Jonah up near the great city of, you guessed it, Nineveh. And so once again, does it happen? Have we ever been certain that we were the ones in complete control of our life only to discover that actually we are not in control at all. Has our journey to Tarshish, the one that we mapped out for ourselves, ever been ruined by a storm? Have we ever been hit by a storm so great that we were brought to our knees, trapped and helpless with nothing to do but go to God in prayer? That's the question. Does it happen? Now, I do feel really bad for Jonah. He has worked so very hard to get to Tarshish, but God thwarts his plans, and Jonah finds himself on the outskirts of Nineveh, the one place he did not want to go. And to make matters much worse, God asked Jonah a second time to ask the inhabitants of Nineveh to repent. It is a three-day journey to Nineveh from the shoreline, and this time Jonah goes 
albeit reluctantly, and of course he pouts the entire time. Now, there is something you need to understand if you're to comprehend the irony of what will soon happen, and that's no one ever listens to the prophets in the Old Testament. And it's not because they're not persistent. You know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they all preached for like 20 or 30 years. And they weren't all that successful. Only a few people repented. But Jonah, Jonah storms to the center of Nineveh and preaches the shortest, and to be honest, the worst sermon that's recorded in our Bible. In 40 days, Jonah says, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. (laughs) That is all Jonah says. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's his entire sermon. Jonah says seven words, and then he calls it a day. But here's what's so amazing. It works. Not one person, not one family, but the entire city of Nineveh repents. The king tears his garments and declares a citywide fast. Even the animals are forced to wear burlap sacks and they're denied food and water. Make no mistake, this is hardcore repentance. And God, who loves the Ninevites, is pleased. God is pleased that the Ninevites denounce their sinful ways and turn to the truth. And God is even more pleased to show Nineveh his mercy, his forgiveness, and his love. God's free and unmerited grace prevails. And because of that, God is pleased. But do you think Jonah is pleased? (laughs) He's not. Because when Nineveh repents... This is essentially what Jonah tells God. If you're not going to kill those bloodthirsty brutes, then kill me because I'm better off dead. Now, think about what Jonah is saying to God for a minute. Jonah's primary concern is that Nineveh be destroyed. Jonah hates the Ninevites, and if Jonah had his way, God would hate the Ninevites too. Does it happen? Now, since we're a church, a community of Christ followers, I would really like to assume that there is no one that we openly hate. But is there anyone that we would just assume never to see again? Conservatives, liberals, immigrants, terrorists, feminists, fundamentalists, consumerists, activists, attorneys, cops, soldiers, hippies, Greeks, non-Greeks, the rich, the poor, the homeless, or maybe a little bit closer to home, a member of our family— Is it possible, is it possible that we avoid a group or a person that we have a bias against that God is calling us to embrace? Do we have any Ninevites of our own? Are we inclined to exclude, isolate, leave out, or push anyone away? Does it happen? Well, there's one more scene to this story, and it's a showdown between God and Jonah. You see, whenever God saves the Ninevites, Jonah storms out of the city, he sits down, and he then begins to pout. And apparently, it's a really, really hot day, and the heat makes Jonah even angrier. And so, God does something very nice for Jonah. God makes a bush miraculously grow right above him so that Jonah has shade from the heat. And according to the Bible, this makes Jonah really, really happy. Jonah, of course, doesn't thank God for this magical bush that's been planted because in Jonah's mind, it's the least God could do for not killing the Ninevites. 
Well, all is well for a while, but then God sends a massive worm. And this massive worm eats the entire magical bush. Well, this makes Jonah mad. And so listen to how the book of Jonah ends. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush, for which you did not labor, and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Here ends the reading. Does it happen? Does it happen? Are we ever concerned with one thing, perhaps even consumed by one thing, only to discover that God is concerned about something far greater? Has God ever done something dramatic to show us that the thing that most concerns us is really shallow and unimportant? Make no mistake, Jonah's primary concern is Jonah. He's concerned with the bush and not having any shade. He's concerned with this trip to Tarshish that didn't work out. He's concerned with getting revenge on the Ninevites for what they did to his people. But do you know what Jonah is not concerned about? God. Does that ever happen? You see, God's concern is to save Nineveh and to give Jonah the joy and the privilege of being part of the action. But Jonah, he's concerned about the heat, and he's pouting like a baby because his trip to Tarshish got canceled. Does it happen? Do we ever view life through such a narrow lens that we miss the great concern of God? Does it happen? It wouldn't be fitting for me to answer that question. You see, the book of Jonah ends with a question. There is a crucial question that the book of Jonah just leaves hanging. And there's no resolution to the story. Jonah is the only book in the Bible I know of that ends with a question. You see, the book ends with Jonah arguing with God and with God arguing back. The book ends with Jonah asking God, should I not be concerned about the bush? And with God responding, Jonah, wake up, wake up. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh? Now, obviously, this is not the end of their conversation. God asked Jonah a question, and God's questions always demand an answer. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh? That is God's question. And another way of asking that question is, is my concern not far greater and more important than yours? Jonah's answer to God's question is missing from the story which, of course, is not a mistake. The writer withholds Jonah's answer to force us to answer God's question. Jonah, John, you who listen to this podcast right now, is my concern not far greater than yours? You may recall that we began this podcast with a question. The story of Jonah, is it true? And obviously, the answer is yes. Jonah's story is my story, and it's your story too. You see, the story of Jonah happens. 
the living God calls us and pursues us. And like Jonah, we run away looking for some idol that feels a little bit more exotic. The story of Jonah is the story of fallen humanity. We try to control our own lives. That is, of course, until the storm comes and we find ourselves trapped in the belly of a fish. And when that fish spits us out, we either buy another ticket to Tarshish or like Jonah, we sit around and pout. But what we fail to see is the greater purpose or the greater concern of God. The whole time, every moment of life, God is asking us this question, Jonah, John, is my concern not far greater than yours? Now, if we think that God does not want us to be joyful, then we have not understood the book of Jonah, or God for that matter. I really believe that our joy is God's chief concern. And I'd even go as far as to say that our joy is tied to God's glory, that our joy gives God glory. But at the same time, God is smart And God knows that Tarshish can never bring us lasting joy. God did not make us to live in Tarshish. He made us to live in his presence. But if God is going to do that, in an odd way, the witness of Jonah is that God has to break us. He has to send the storm. Or at a bare minimum, God must allow the storm and he cannot intervene. But in my opinion... I think that the storm always is a carrier of some grace. I think that the fish is grace. I think that when God sends the bush, it's grace. And that when God sends the worm, it also is grace. And do you know why? It's because I honestly believe that every detail of our life and world is packed, packed with meaning and purpose. And that little by little, God is working to break us from the petty, short-sighted concerns that far too often govern our life. And I honestly believe that God does this for a reason, to help us find our purpose in the things that concern God, both for our joy and for God's glory. Because here's the thing. At the heart of our faith is another man, a man who embodied this virtue we're getting at in this podcast episode where our chief concern is the concern of God. And this man we speak of now, the Son of Man, was also called to save a group of spiritually ignorant and bloodthirsty brutes. But, you know, it wasn't Nineveh. It was the whole world. And that man was not Jonah. It was Jesus. And Jesus had plenty of chances to board that ship to Tarshish, to walk away from the work that God gave him to do. But Jesus never did, not once. You see, when God called Jesus to that place he did not want to go to, which for Jesus was a cross, Jesus surrendered. He had faith and he went. And when God told him to spend three days in the belly of the fish, which for him was a tomb, Jesus surrendered. He had faith. He went. That is the story of Jesus. It is a story of complete and total surrender to God. Thy will be done. And as Christians, our hope, our faith, is that Jesus' story is most definitely true. 
and that because what happened to Jesus happened in human history, it ultimately is the only story that matters. And so what this means is that through faith, Jesus's obedience is our obedience, and Jesus's righteousness is our righteousness, that Jesus's story is our story, and that Jesus's virtue is our virtue as well. Amen.